Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Quirky Science Podcast. Today, I have a an awesome guest who is a psychedelics researcher, and uh, she is a PhD student at uh, the University of Birmingham, Alabama. And she's also doing a lot of work for the Intercollegiate Psychedelics Network, which is... Um, uh, well, you can explain that if if it comes to that, and uh, also Psychedel X, which is like a kind of TED X type of talk thing, where uh, a bunch of students are basically kind of competing to have a good talk, and they're kind of being like trained and coached and all kinds of stuff. And um, <laughs> yeah, I'm actually helping out with that project as well, so. Uh, you guys should definitely follow along with that. Uh, if if you guys are curious about that, ask me more about it later, and I'll definitely tell you. And I'll post some stuff about it in the description of this podcast also. Hi, and welcome. This is Quirky Science, where we discuss crazy ideas welcome to the podcast i am your host gage clark Haley, how are you doing today? Fantastic. I just wanted to say one thing about psychedelics being compared to TEDx. Um, a lot of people have that sort of impression, but it's really supposed to be kind of different from TEDx. Um, the X kind of, to me, initially represented the intersecting of old ideas creating new possibilities. So <clears throat> basically the idea with that is Anything in science, um, any novel idea, it's just based on putting together existing ideas in an interesting way that really hasn't been done before. So that's kind of the idea behind psychedelics. It's to give students a platform to share their new ideas, um, kind of with the hopes that it will inspire people to dig more deeply into those projects and, you know, maybe get some research out of it. Um, just empowering people to, I don't know, to speak up more. I feel like that's not, that doesn't happen enough in psychedelic science. There's so many people who are super intrigued by it and are very well read, but they just don't have a platform yet. So I wanted to help provide that and also kind of perhaps coach them on how they could put together their ideas in a way where it would create the most like impact with an audience initially what sparked all of it so yeah yeah I like it that is a um, I think it is a good project that's going on there um, and I think that is that is something that's bothered me about uh, academia and just kind of a lot of the 
I guess the way that it seems that the world kind of works, like it kind of makes sense because there's so many people with ideas, right? And like a ton of them probably have bad ideas or something. And then there's like these rare people that might have great ideas, but they are kind of just left in the dust. And um, I feel like that's probably happened throughout human history, like all the time. But then um, now that we have the internet, it kind of, maybe it changes things, I think. Um, so, um, oh, interesting. So, uh, so how about uh, people are asking in the comments if they can join. If, if you wait till a little bit later, I'll open it up and we'll move to like the discussion section. Um, and then people can uh, bring up uh, like questions or ideas or anything that they thought up uh, during the uh, conversation that we have. And uh, so I would recommend take notes or jot down things that you'd like to bring up and then do it uh, during that time. Um, right now, this part of it is recorded, basically, and we post it on the uh, podcast stream, which is like on iTunes and Spotify and all that type of stuff. But I have to be a little bit more careful about who I or just kind of I have no idea what people are going to say so I just have to be careful in that sense but at the same time uh, later on I I will probably still keep what people say in the episode like in the Q&A unless it gets somewhere like super weird but um, I just try to keep it towards the end just in case <laughs> so yeah I guess let's start uh, with what do you think uh, well, what do you think psychedelics do, like, in your, I guess, your opinion or what you've read or anything? That's such a broad question to me because there were so many different levels of mechanisms that you could get into. I mean, there's a very well, like, established 5-HT2A agonist sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, you could look at the neural... Um, like the systems level networks, um, how that happens. But I think that fundamentally the mechanism that makes psychedelics therapeutically efficacious for so many different disorders is that they kind of reduce people's self-salience, um, if you will. And when this happens, people are able to interpret the world from a broader perspective, um, and kind of reevaluate some of their beliefs and such that way. And once they are understanding the world from a broader perspective and they have a wider attentional scope, if you will, um, they, they are able to build on from there to create a bunch of positive sort of behavioral changes and such and just see the world in a more flexible way that's less rigidly focused on the self. So when I say the self, um, I mean the sort of ruminative thought patterns that you would see in somebody with depression um, or with anxiety, apprehensive future focused, or in the case of schizophrenia, when people are um, having delusions that people are out to get them and such. Um, that's what I mean by 
kind of self-focus. I think that fundamentally you can say that psychedelics reduce this self-focus. And I think that looking at potential neural mechanisms is what needs to happen with this, but I don't think we're anywhere near um, getting there yet. Um, there's been a lot of resting state studies that have been quite interesting that suggests that like the default mode network is deactivated, but it's deactivated in a bunch of states. So we don't really exactly know is that significant in any way. Um, so I think that to really narrow in on that sort of fundamental mechanism of what psychedelics are doing in terms of the self and attention and all of that, that we're going to have to begin experimenting with task more um, in fMRI, which really hasn't been done to the extent that you would expect for a field that has been kind of going on like really like the past 10 years or so, I would say. Yeah. Sorry for random rants, no, but yeah. No, this is good. Um, so, I suppose next I could ask, well, well, I guess I could kind of also comment or uh, just uh, respond. Um, so, something that I was thinking about today, which I'm still kind of thinking through the idea, mm -hmm. and as I was thinking through it, it just kind of it just got really com complex and overly uh, nuanced and now uh, like I started to kind of backtrack on certain aspects of the idea but uh, so I've been reading about the research on suggestibility and kind of a hypnotic um, proneness and so mm. with with suggestibility if if you guys, you probably, most of you out there probably know already what that means, but in case you don't, it's basically just, uh, like how likely you are to be, um, suggestible to the influence of someone else's, uh, kind of like the influence of someone's ideas, perhaps, for example. And, um, so... In some sense, um, I feel like it's it kind of ties into this whole uh, relaxed belief ideas. Um, mm -hmm. So, so particularly the thing that I kind of was thinking about with suggestibility is that there's two things I think are kind of important for whether or not someone is prone to suggestion. And I think one of them is, um, let me just make sure I say it correctly. I have it in notes. Um, I believe trait absorption is linked to hypno, hypno be, being able to be hypnotized, um, which I think might be related to suggestibility in a sense. I mean, I don't have the research pulled up in front of me, but I think those two concepts are related and what's interesting is that I believe it's been shown that absorption um, is increased with psychedelics, or perhaps it was that absorption increased somebody's propensity to have like a mystical type experience with psychedelics. And I think the interesting thing about absorption in general um, 
which is kind of your tendency to be so involved with observing some stimuli um, that you kind of lose a sense of yourself is that it's directly related to that whole kind of self concept thing being super relevant to psychedelics. So, yeah, I definitely think there is um, suggestibility um, in the mechanism of psychedelics for sure. So I'm just, I'm guessing that's where you're going with this. Yeah, so some of that, I, I didn't get into the sense of self too much, but um, but I do think that that's definitely a factor here. So I, so I, what I wrote is basically that preconceived notions is one of the things I think that that basically if someone has already formed expectations about uh, whatever it is, like say say you're given a drug in an experiment and you have the expectation that it's actually the placebo and it's fake, you might actually not um, get the placebo effect or something like that. But if you didn't have that uh, expectation, mm. uh, you might just find yourself experiencing some sort of placebo effects. And then um, another thing that I think is important would be trust. But this is particularly... So, so most of the things I was writing about is specifically about being suggestible in a way that is like, um, like whether or not someone is likely to trust that what I say is true and then they adopt that expectation into their worldview. So, so if someone already has their own expectation, they might reject anything I say that contradicts it. And then in the second case, if they think I'm not a trustable source of that information, they might also uh, reject it. Um, so this is basically, as a heads up, it's basically going to go down into schizophrenia. <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> I don't know, do you have any thoughts? What do, what do you think about schizophrenia? I'll just ask that first before even... What do I think about schizophrenia? That That do is you think another... it's a good thing? No, I'm just kidding. Do I think it's a good thing? Um... <laughs> Um, geez, where do I, where do I get started with schizophrenia? I think it's a very, in general, very misunderstood illness from, from my understanding of it, from what I've researched with it. I think that initially people kind of, or at least I did, I think prior to becoming involved with research with it, thought it was kind of a thing where people were like hallucinating, like all figures, like all the time and like all of this, but it's really quite a bizarre illness in the sense that people often have these disruptions again to their sense of self that are just very difficult really to, to quantify well, but yet seem to have a profound effect um, on their experience across the board. Um, and people really in the, in the psychotic state, it seems become very hyper self-aware. That's kind of kind of kind of what Artie Lang thought was the the crux of like what made all the psychotic symptoms is this excess self-awareness. Um, so basically, the idea is that with like paranoia and 
I don't know, delusions of persecution and all of that. It's that the person becomes so focused on themselves, yet, yet, yet they have a bunch of sort of aberrant salience where things are becoming important externally that are just really like random or whatever. They have this happening, but it's all directed towards the self. And at that point, they develop all these delusions. So thinking, for example, that a newscaster is talking to them uh, or just like thinking a song is directly referring to them. And with this excessive self-focus tied with this very aberrant attentional scope, people over time isolate from the world. Um, and basically just it spirals from there and they're cut off and they have negative symptoms um, really severely. I mean, they're prevalent from the beginning stages of the illness, but they can get worse over time. I mean, medication is obviously part of that, but um, I think it's probably one of the mental illnesses that has the least um, helpful treatment options. I mean, obviously the medications, they do do stuff for people and they allow them to not be constantly tormented by um, delusions and hallucinations. But you look at how with antipsychotics, people develop tardive dyskinesia, um, basically Parkinsonian-like symptoms and such. Um, and that there's like cognitive dysfunction too that can be perhaps amplified by the medications. I think that it's in dire need of people thinking about more treatments um, or just trying to find a new perspective to to think about um, psychosis in general. So, yeah, I don't know if that's the sort of answer you were looking for. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So, hmm, I think that... The way that I've been kind of thinking about schizophrenia in terms of, well, maybe just generally is lately is um, I've been thinking a lot about the environmental factors and especially I am thinking a lot about um, thinking of the situation that they find themselves in is one that's kind of conditioned and I kind of like to look at a lot of different things in terms of how someone could be basically conditioned like basically cl like classical conditioning type of mm -hmm. thing for sure and um so like in terms of this suggestibility idea um basically I've been thinking that so, so the research on whether or not schizophrenics have higher or lower suggestibility, it was mm -hmm. kind of mixed. And I think that it's like way more complicated. Like, I think that like before I get into it, I need to warn you, <laughs> but, but there is some research uh, that talks about them having less suggestibility. Like they're basically rejecting the suggestions of the researchers and um mm. and i think that this is probably something that's context-based but it's also something that's really interesting if you think about this idea of suggestibility and relevance to like their lives because i think that what might happen for a lot of people 
And I think it's different probably for a lot of people too. Like there's probably different ways to experience similar symptoms. But I think that what might happen in a lot of cases is let's say that you are um, a child and you are somehow betrayed by your parents. And these are the authority figures of your life or even perhaps the only people that you even know of at this point. And you basically learn and develop a heuristic about what humans are like based on these early experiences. And then you start to behave in certain ways that um, change the course of your life. So for example, if you were betrayed or abused by them, you might should develop this general idea that people can't be trustable or that authorities can't be trustable. And then you will kind of keep your distance and mm. that could just kind of set the stage for more problems because if you don't trust people, let's say in elementary school, you might keep your distance and then you have no tribe and then you're vulnerable to being bullied or something like that. And that might just confirm your bias that that your heuristic was right, that people are not trustable. And uh, it's probably less extreme than that. Like this is a very kind of black and white version of some of a narrative narrative you know but um one thing that comes to mind when you say all that is you're saying that people with schizophrenia tend to be rejecting of suggestions i'd be interested in seeing if this is prevalent or, or if it exists in the early stages of psychosis as well as people with family predispositions etc um i think that if it maybe exists in families in general including in people who don't actually develop psychosis then maybe this problem with suggestibility is like there from the beginning um one thing that came to mind too is when you were saying that people perhaps they develop this tendency to be against or to not be malleable to suggestions and it comes from having bad authority figures in their life. Um, this would suggest that at first maybe they were hyper suggestible and um, flexible to criticism. So maybe their parents or whatever, they were, they were more wary of whatever they were doing and criticizing and it hurt them so much that they developed this tendency to block it off um and that's yeah that's that's what i would guess is going on i have no idea this is complete speculation i haven't read anything on this but this is definitely something intriguing to think about but i would definitely encourage you to like dig into how it might shift um through this throughout the stages of the illness as well as people of family predispositions, you don't develop it. One thing that I had read that was interesting, it was looking at um, resting state um, connectivity with people with schizophrenia, and it found um, basically that certain networks were predictive of whether or not somebody would have lasting psychosis in the early stages. Um, and a lot of people actually do get Better. But they found that basically people with a lot of within 
DMN network connectivity, but not a lot of between network connectivity broadly in the brain um, are more likely to get um, to continue being ill. But this was not related to childhood trauma or exposure to cannabis. And to me, like that kind of suggests um, in a sense that there is kind of an endophenotype that predisposes people to psychosis that is independent of the stressors that they are experiencing in their life, like whether or not they have like really strict authority parent figures. I mean, obviously there's a very complex picture with psychosis or any illness, but that's just, I think that given it's extremely strong genetic link, I think there's probably more going on biologically than socially almost. I mean, I, it's obviously a mix of both, but that's just, I think, something to think about. Hmm, I think this puzzle of whether it's more genes or social gets so tricky because of, um, like, this is something that I get particularly skeptical about because genes kind of like in reality social the social world is just this mix of kind of everybody's genes interacting in a way or even like you can say that um that uh like speech is genetic or something like that like it gets it gets really weird like like if somebody I don't know, like, like, so for example, like one case that I kind of will bring up sometimes is the idea that, like, say something like psychopathy, if that were genetic, um, it probably would also imply that, like, they would probably tend to have, um, well, no, that's not a good example. Well, actually, no, yeah, it could be. Okay, let's say someone has this predisposition to break rules or that they don't tend to follow them as well or something like this. Uh, that could predispose them to being punished more than other people. And that that's where it starts to get weird. Like if someone inherits a tendency to break rules, it wouldn't even matter necessarily. Like if you do twin studies or something like that, that, that doesn't even fix that problem because there's just a cultural tendency to uh, try to punish children who are being uh, misbehaving or something like that. And um, so like in that case, it might actually predispose them to having um, parents who are against them in, in an early phase of their life. And they might kind of adopt this tendency to see things from like me versus them all the time or mm. that it's yeah like and I feel like I feel like psychopathy in, in a way I feel like it's not even that different from schizophrenia in certain ways like even though the symptoms and the presentation might be dramatically different um I think that they are both kind of a an effect that might be strongly linked to not conforming and that one of the paths you could take is to kind of be tough and maybe psychopathic or you can be 
maybe schizophrenia might be more of the kind of victimized side where they're like paranoid that the world is against them or that the government is against them or that people are bad and that they're going to hurt them. Whereas the psychopath mm-hmm. might just be like, well, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to hurt you first. Or like, I don't know. There'll be like more of a fighter mentality instead of a um, kind of the victim aspect of it. Mm. I never thought about there being an overlap between psychopathy and schizophrenia. So that is something that I'm going to have to dig into. I definitely want to see if there's like any neurological sort of overlap at this point. Um, but I can see how from like a, from the perspective you just painted, it does seem that there could be some overlap perhaps. So, yeah, that's, huh. And that, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that's intriguing. I totally just meant to get into the gene thing, but, but, hmm, yeah, I, the genes, genes are such a freaky topic, t- to be honest. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know, like, because our genes make us behave in some way, but also our behavior makes the world behave in some way. So it's like, I don't know. That means that the genes... And then you add in epigenetics, too. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's like we might inherit how other people treat us in a weird, really weird way. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Like... That is... There's a link of being bullied to schizophrenia. It's like, what if we find out that that is somehow also linked to genetics or something, you know? Like, they're predisposed to become bullied by other people or something weird. Well, I mean, I feel like if you're bullied by somebody, it's because you stand out in some way. You're not typical. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, that would make sense. Hmm, maybe we could go... So, another idea about suggestibility would be that I feel... So, like, the thing that kind of... Like, at first, I was just like, okay, maybe schizophrenics are just not suggestible. But then there's, like, certain problems. Like, for example, like, a normal person is not suggestible to flatter theory. They're actually extremely unsuggestible to the point that like even if you were to make a really convincing argument they'll probably be like no way no way i don't even know anything about the science of why the earth is round but i don't care this is bad i'm not supposed to believe this whereas um this schizophrenic person might actually not do that and um but they might have that mentality of resistance to like actual experts on whatever topic, like if it's um, just any kind of like science or whatever it is, like how the government works or politics or whatever it is, they might resist those experts. And it's it's kind of a, an interesting thing. I don't know. But that, this is kind of why I, I'm so skeptical about schizophrenia even existing, which is like maybe a crazy <laughs> thing to say, but 
it's like, like, I feel like everything is people adopting what I would consider pretty much delusional beliefs, like on both sides of the political fence and on science, on like religion, on everything. I feel like everyone is just adopting various delusional beliefs and like there's different how are you defining delusion um in this case i mean that it is not a philosophically good position that they probably didn't think it through (laughs) that's so subjective a philosophically good position i mean the whole problem with philosophy is it's all subjective there's nothing there there is no truth so if there is no truth how can there be anything that is a delusion Exactly. Because it's, because it's all delusions. Everybody's crazy. And exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and it, I don't know. Like, I do think that if there, there are, are. Yeah, wow. What were you going to say? I'm just saying, like, if there is no thing as an actual philosophically sound belief system if there is no true reality then everybody is delusional i i I, yeah wow (laughs) yeah like i feel like so what i was kind of feeling about this idea of maybe what uh like so the child the child that's schizophrenic maybe they they could somehow like so what i think happens in society and learning and academia and teaching children i feel like they're not supposed to have any skepticism at first and that they're not really being taught ideas that hold up to any kind of like like they would not be able to philosophically argue any of the things that they believe in because they're children right they haven't learned anything about logic or all these different things and eventually they learn enough hmm. things they go to college and now we can teach them how to critically think but imagine if a child were to do that before then like say they do it in middle school and then they go and like start critically like rejecting um like what their teachers teach them or something and they also are not educated enough to to know enough to like like basically only the experts are supposed to have this kind of ability to think ideas even i feel i i would disagree with you on on several fronts oh um, really <laughs> i would say that children are especially skeptical of authority. They're always asking sort of like why questions. They're always curious about the world around them and can be kind of defiant in their actions. But I mean, they will trust a parent like if they say that the world is some way, but there is sort of a curious testing of reality around them with asking lots of questions. And I would say that as time goes on, um, we'll kind of lose that curiosity, which I think curiosity in a lot of senses is anti-authoritarian because you're curious about it. You're saying that there's more information there than people typically believe um, or believe to be important. Um, So I think that people maybe lose some of that 
curiosity and that questioning of like authority and such as time goes on because they get more absorbed in relating to like the social landscape and like fitting in um, amongst their peers and such and then as time goes on there are mounting pressures to fit all the like right check marks for um, just filling fitting into society, doing the things you're supposed to do, going to college, getting a job, etc. And over time, people become so busy with that and so absorbed in that world that they don't have time to question authority or they say kind of to themselves, I am not in the position of these people of power, so therefore I'm just going to trust them instead of realizing that fundamentally the only way you get to those sort of positions of power and being able to craft these new ideas is questioning, is saying that there's more to it than than meets the eye. Um, so I, I just think that like going back to psychedelics, getting people to be like, hey, you have a novel idea, let's get it out there. There's no reason you can't be trying to do stuff like this. People are too, too caught up in not bowing down, but just trusting that whatever an expert, quote unquote, says is correct is correct. And aren't realizing that if they work on their own ideas and develop them, that they, too, could easily become an expert. I think that curiosity um, and just being able to question things is anti-authoritarian in a sense um, and will lead people to develop new and novel perspectives that are potentially useful but not always that was a good point Um, it's so it's weird I've actually thought a little bit on some of the stuff you said but somehow I didn't catch myself uh kind of basically probably I'm contradicting myself maybe in my head somewhere (laughs) but it's interesting like so like I would kind of say that yeah it's like we we're adultified in a way where I feel we're kind of trained to stop um rejecting authority like basically people in authority uh train people to uh become obedient to it and that but i think it's it's there's other stuff uh, i mean i don't on. think there's anybody training anyone you don't think hmm. i don't think so do you think that any let me ask you this is there an academic out there training people not question their ideas it might be their peers maybe like i don't so... i don't think that's what's happening because I mean, like, let's say that, like, all goes well and I end up getting a PhD and becoming a researcher. I'm not going to be telling people to not question me and to not critically evaluate my ideas. So I think that it's people's busyness almost um, and their lack of self-efficacy that causes that to happen of kind of thinking that, I can't be like this person because they've done all these things and I haven't done these things without realizing that to get to be like that person, you have to start doing things that push the norms. I don't know. (laughs) I think it is 
the fear of being wrong, partly, or not even the fear of being wrong, I think it is the fear of appearing to be dumb in front of people for having the wrong idea. But I also do think that culture polices people to conform to different ideas. Like in the case of flat earthers, I think that we essentially just bully them and completely like, like, I feel like if someone were to adopt flat earth theory, it'd probably be a traumatic experience. <laughs> like to go around <laughs> and like tell your family this, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but I don't know. Like, so Wait, I think let me there's ask you a weird question. Do you think that people who do psychedelics would be more likely or less likely to adopt flat earth theory? <laughs> well, I think that like my idea of what they do is kind of just a, maybe something that deconditions you temporarily in a way. Mm. And so I think that people might lose this kind of training that makes them um, afraid to come up with their own thoughts. Like instead of self-doubting and um, being afraid that other people will judge them for having silly ideas or uh, maybe even like to come up with something that's obvious or something like that. Like I feel like certain people on psychedelics, they come up with something that a lot of people think was an obvious epiphany and that like people kind of, I think there's this meme that psychedelics might make people realize something they already knew or something, but mm. I, I'm not sure if that's the case. Like I'm kind of skeptical that it might be that certain, like I feel like we all might have different awarenesses of certain kinds of obvious things and certain people might just simply conform to what is labeled as a kind of common sense meme, but they don't truly know what that is all about. Like they don't understand the kind of what is f going on with that meme, like why it's considered to be true, you know? Mm. But uh, in the case of, I didn't even answer, I don't think, but in the case of like something like Flat Earth, maybe I have not experienced such a profound effect like that myself. Um, although I've had it to where it's made me stop kind of doing confirmation biases. Classical conditioning. Short. Sorry, could you say that one more time? You're, you're cutting it. Oh, no. Oh, you, you were, were cutting, cutting it. <laughs> so, uh, so what did you catch? Um, I mean, I caught most of it, but um, you were saying how basically it can decondition a person and make them think that something that's really obvious is an epiphany. Um, so and you to were clarify that, though, I think that sometimes, well, well, unless you were about to continue on and say what, what, I, what I said, but, but basically I, I don't think that people are having epiphanies of what they already know. I think that some people might actually not know those things and that there's a lot of things a lot of us don't know that we take for granted as a culture that we assume is like common sense or something. I mean, I think that's part of it, but to get back to the original question of whether people who do psychedelics are more likely to become flat earthers, I, I think the answer is yes. I think you that do? while 
I do. I do. I think that kind of if you think about how a lot of people who do a lot excessive amounts of psychedelics, let's say, develop these very odd belief systems. I mean, look at Terence McKenna, his whole way of seeing the world. It's very bizarre. And there's a lot of like sort of magical ideation to it, but it's not psychotic at all. Um, and like I think a philosophical like, gestalt or something. Yeah. And I think with flat earth, it's another one of those very weird sort of beliefs that a person could develop that, you know what, it makes sense from a, a sensory perspective. Like if you just look outside um, and it's almost as if people are more, they filter their ideas less strongly. And if somebody begins to kind of think, oh, well, maybe there is some truth to this flat earth thing or whatever, um, they're not going to be able to snap out of it as easily. And it's one of those examples of like the magical ideation tendencies. Well, it's not magical ideation, but it's just bizarre. It's uh, um, quirky, if you will. Yes, um, indeed. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, belief. It, they just suck it up. Um, yeah, like you think about the prevalence of like people being very into like new agey kind of like crystals, woo woo stuff amongst like the psychedelic community. And I think that it be kind of like the fundamental side effect of these drugs um and some people maybe with predispositions towards such um things um but the difference between that in my opinion and the kind of false beliefs that you see with psychosis is the person believes it to be true for the whole world around them so if you're a flat earther or you have some weird ideas about like crystals or whatever you believe it to be true for everyone, not just you in particular. Whereas people with psychosis, I think in general, the tendency is for that delusional belief to be somehow only about them. Um, so believing, or focused on them rather. Um, so believing people can read their mind or something or having this whole huge delusion about the government being after them and such. Um, it's different because it's not, oh, this is this weird belief. It's the baseline for everyone. Um, it's just part of reality. It's there is something about me that is bizarre and I'm going to believe it fully. Do you think that we should call people who believe that the earth is round? Should we call them... Well, this is, this is, no, I don't know if that's even a good point. Um, well, I was going to ask, should we call them delusional if they don't understand why the earth is round and they just believe it based on dogma? Well, Probably not, but I don't know. I mean, as we were saying earlier, there is no, there is no consensus reality if you're going to define whether a belief is delusional based on if it's, philosophically sound which philosophy is all very subjective <laughs> so i don't know 
Either everything is an illusion or nothing is. <laughs> um, yeah. Hmm. But then how would you define these beliefs that are clearly bizarre and, and, and magical-ish um, in some sense? How, what, what, what differentiates them from, from people believing things that are that they have no actual evidence, like, I'm not no evidence for, but just beliefs that are taken as fact without people having thoroughly researched it. Like, how does, I I don't know. (laughs) See, I think, what if, what if what's happening is that, that we're living in this world where nearly every single person is severely uninformed about most of the world around them. Like, even... Even the experts, let's say, are completely uninformed about so many things. But there are experts who have investigated some some things, and they kind of have a I, some ideas about it that are maybe good. And then, um, but then the rest of the people, they are believing the same things as the experts. Yet, it isn't because that's what they thought makes sense it is because um the expert is telling them that this is what should make sense and um but there's also like think about there's also all kinds of non-intuitive things in like science that we that we find out that we were completely horribly wrong about and so like like whatever the public thinks or whatever the majority of people are thinking about whatever topic um, it is just severely an uninformed position. But let's think, what are they informed about? Like, they know some stuff. They have senses, and they, um, I don't know. There's, like, certain ways we can use, like, tools to, like, find out things about the world. And people, some people understand how the tools work. They've researched a little bit of things about uh, different methodologies of exploring the world. And, uh, but what if you were to just like rip away people's clinging urge to follow what expert opinion is and they just stopped, stopped confining their thoughts to the realm of obeying the experts in all the domains that they have nothing, no information about. Like, um, like personally, like I don't, I haven't looked that much into flat earth or round earth, I should say. So like, <laughs> so, like, I haven't looked into the mathematical arguments. I haven't looked into that much of the physics and so on. So, like, like if I were to just stop just obeying the authorities on this topic, I'm free to think all kinds of weird things, like supposedly the flat earth theory. And I feel like uh, if you go even further, like, I'm an academic, right? So, like... Like maybe I've I'm like this privileged position that knows that's had access to, to like just tons of research and I've read a bunch of stuff I've taken a ton of classes that were supposedly informed by experts but it's like what if you just like go even further you just take some random person and they work at Walmart they dropped out of high school and then what if you took away the constraints of uh, following the experts like what would that person suddenly be free to believe based only on what they know or believe to be true based on things that aren't well obedience i guess 
I think that the thing is, is that no matter if the person is, how, how a person creates their beliefs, ultimately, I think most of the time is dependent on others' experiences. So that could be through an authority figure disseminating a bunch of information. But I think that in cases where you see people developing these very bizarre beliefs, there is still a reliance on others. Like you look at anti-vaxxers, um, they get a bunch of anecdotal evidence about like vaccines causing autism because of reading some desperate mom posting something on like Facebook saying her kid got autism. And they hold that as having a lot of sway in their belief system. Um, they take the anecdotal over authoritative information that is based on data and science and all of that, but they're still relying on others to develop their beliefs. So you were saying that, like, what if you took got rid of people's ability to trust authority? I still think that they would be trusting something external to themselves in order to create belief systems, because I think they would have to be picking up on some sort of pattern in information um, somewhere. I think it's very unlikely that they would just be relying on their own experience because people don't exist in a, a vacuum. They would be absorbing information from the environment and selecting it in some weird way that was not conventional and how, you, how an authority figure would like it to be interpreted and picking out things that are salient to them that typically aren't supposed to be the main focal points. Perhaps, yeah. I don't know. I think the, the way that we have this kind of authority trust system, I think that that is probably something that society needs to exist. Like, um, there has to be some level of trust for me to go to the dentist and not worry that this person is going to, uh, that this person just snuck into the dental office and is pretending to be like a doctor <laughs> or something like that, right? And that's, that's actually delusions that people get too, which is interesting. Or like people think that. I mean, that's funny. Like you think about imposter yeah, syndrome and pe people who are like academics feeling like they're not an academic. Like I, I don't, I don't feel like I should be getting, going to uh, attempting to obtain a PhD. Like I don't, I don't understand how that is happening. Um, yet supposedly I, I am here <laughs> Um, so it's kind of like the inverse of the imposter syndrome, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> believing yeah. that the authorities are, are not the authorities. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. The other thing is I was thinking too, like with suggestibility, I feel like that could be something that's like core to making social groups work because it reduces conflict if if everybody in the group adopts the same beliefs, like w which might kind of maybe tie into religion and stuff like that. Mm. Hmm. That's 
That's interesting because if you think about how psychedelics increase suggestibility, and I think there was a new paper that just came out that was showing like increased pro-social like behavior. I want to say minds something something along those lines. Um, and I think that definitely like kind of you think about religion, like what is that exists for in society it, it is to provide a social cohesive structure and suggestibility as part of that and you think about how psychedelics often induce mystical experiences and maybe that enhances suggestibility itself people becoming more like I, I, I don't know I'm thinking out loud at this point but I think That's that good. there's definitely some interesting stuff um, going there on there and yeah people do become too suggestible with psychedelics as a side effect for sure oh there is one ex- thought experiment that I wonder if what you'll think about it um, oh boy yes yeah, so I was thinking about this kind of it could tie into the suggestibility too. It is like, or academia, or learning, and just human knowledge sharing, and all this stuff. Um, there's like, so you can imagine like a feral child, right? A child raised by wolves or something like this. They are completely devoid of uh, any suggestions from other people. Basically, they are devoid of the knowledge sharing. And it's like, I kind of wondered if that person doesn't believe or they have no belief that there is a government, would that be a delusion? Probably not. But also, what if you just kind of made a whole scale with how feral someone is? Like, someone could be partially feral. What if they are only like... Someone could be what, feral? Partially feral. Partially feral. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Just trying to imagine that. Like, that sounds very bizarre. That'd probably be like neglect or like not going to school or maybe performing badly in school or something happens like maybe they don't focus or who knows, but they, are, they might only be... <laughs> partially uh, integrated but but it's like crazy because if you think about this difference of like how does a human without society behave versus a human with society it's like what does it even mean to be human like we think humans behave like these very not animalistic things or something and then there's like the feral child though which is just literally basically an animal And then I feel that there's probably all kinds of... There's like a gradient between that and whatever we might think is the most... uh, I don't even know, like sophisticated or civilized or domesticated or whatever you want to call it. And uh, I don't know. Like I feel like schizophrenics might exist in some realm where they're like not fully integrated into the rest of the social world the society or whatever and that 
that allows them to think outside of it, which ends up leading to all kinds of contrary beliefs. And if someone holds a belief, I feel like once that happens, they just anybody, like someone who believes the earth is round will also do this. They will become resistant to alternative ideas unless they're sufficiently convinced otherwise. And that that might just be what's happening, that everybody is just adopting various beliefs, but most people are synchronized to basically this overarching religion of society, where it's even Ooh, multiple. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, like there's there's even maybe complex things going on with like, like religion and science have learned how to create like a mimetic ecosystem where Ooh, yes. <laughs> Whereas, like, the Flat Earthers, though, they're totally just rejected outside of it, right? Like, like they don't, they're, like, such a minority that they were just like, look at that guy, that guy's ridiculous, let's just laugh at them and insult them and whatever, right? But then it's like, oh, the religious people, look, they actually own the government right now. So, like, <laughs> you know, like, they're paying for us to do the science <laughs> or something like that. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, so it's like it's kind of spooky <laughs> but oh my god <laughs> um it gets really wow. political or something right <laughs> um i think that science not as an authoritative structure in society or the way you're kind of talking about it as a system that's difficult to break into. I don't think that science is like that. I think it's designed to foster the creation of new beliefs or at least new systems. Um, like basically you think about what, what is the scientific method? It's developing a hypothesis, an idea of how you think something works and testing it and playing around to see if it's true. It's ultimately very questioning of of reality in a sense. Um, I mean, that's the whole point. So it should be very um, flexible to new ideas, but it also has a mechanism in place within its method to ensure that ideas that aren't that great over time um, get discarded. So, I mean, that's what I love about it is that it does allow you to be bold with possibilities while also um, kind of having a um, rejection method if it yeah. doesn't work out so well. Yeah, that's true. I think that I think that it gets a little bit weirder in the case of like social or psychological sciences. I feel like there's probably a bunch of illusions that we've developed that are like kind of weird religious structures in a way what do you mean by that could you provide an example um like kind of the way that i doubt schizophrenia like i think that like we've seen that it seems we can give people placebo spiritual experiences or placebo psychedelic trips in like some studies that have i think come out recently i don't know how mm -hmm. recent but um i think that me, was a 2019 maybe i, I know um, the one you're referring to yeah so i think 
that we clearly can have weird experiences. It's just that we somehow, most of us aren't. And I think it's because that is, I think that our society is built in a way that most of the people are kind of avoiding it or they completely have an expectancy to not experience that. It's like, it's like, I feel like most of our reality is just a bunch of placebo effects where um, <laughs> we've kind of subscribed to either like, like some people subscribe to placebo depression, some people prescribe to their placebo sense of self, their identity, their role play character, like everybody's just kind of LARPing their existence in whatever way Ooh. they think is real. And then... The schizophrenic, though, might be someone that finds themselves having a different kind of placebo experience that is, like, um, crazy. And I feel like, like, I bet that the way that... <laughs> How do you define crazy? Um, more <laughs> like, yeah, I guess hallucination in particular is what I meant there. Um, I think most people... But you people can also are, have hallucinations, um hallucination-like experiences um, with, like, synesthesia and such and, you know, migraine auras and be perfectly sane. So yeah. how does it become crazy? What What is the <laughs> fundamental component of crazy? <laughs> it is to have people accuse you of being crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a bad idea, right? <laughs> but hmm. That that's that that's a problematic definition. Because having somebody accuse you of being crazy, you think about Galileo. Exactly. Or something like yeah. that. So that's not the definition either, and yet it can't just be sensory perceptions because people people can have odd experiences and not be crazy. I think everybody's having wrong experiences almost all of the time. Like I, that's, <laughs> so it's like, but it's most of them are synchronized and. What? Yeah. Like, um, so you're saying of, that the beliefs that society helps people develop through its conditioning sort of mechanisms allow people to interpret the world incorrectly consistently. Yes, and in a there, way... There are examples of that. Um, the Miller liar, liar illusion or whatever. Hell um, yes. Yeah, with the lines, um, people often report seeing it as, um, you know, with the triangles at the end. But I think I've read that people who are not from Western society, they don't see it the same way. That or is they're true. Able to, so, yeah, that's kind of showing that we have been conditioned to see lines in a certain way, just from always being in rooms with four corners. Did you know schizophrenics are less prone to that illusion as well? Huh. Wow. And uh, in terms of, like, synchronized beliefs, I think it is... That's so fascinating. If that illusion is one of those such things, like I've been trying to think about that, to be honest, like I, I literally in the post I had today, 
that was kind of in related topics. I had a section about this, but then I deleted it because I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> but it's such a weird thing. Like, so there's other examples that are more uh, maybe tangible or something where, like, so there's like, there's, um, there's these, so uh, I, I didn't go look up the research on this yet, but there's some research where they basically had people where they, they're asked to rate their understanding of super basic common objects that everybody's exposed to. Like, do you know, how confident are you that you understand how a toilet works? And, uh, like various basic objects and then they were later asked to actually explain as vividly as they can how they work and like a bunch of people rated themselves highly as understanding them and like basically a bunch of people don't understand how any of the household basic things work and i feel like that's the same as kind of the way that people view that the earth is round or how they understand a lot of pop science and how they understand culture, politics, uh, the stock market, economics, just kind of almost literally everything. I feel like the majority of people on almost every single topic and even within ourselves, our own beliefs about all those various things, um, I feel like they're just all very inaccurate and they're just kind of wishy-washy things and we feel like we might have some grasp on them but we're actually just kind of like like that whole term scientism i feel like that's one of the synchronized systems that people are adopting that is like religion but it's like it's just kind of science religion in a way where mm. like have you, you you you've heard of this right scientism or whatever yeah, vaguely, but yeah. Mm hmm. Mm, so, mm, what do you have? Uh, what do you think about? I don't know. Do you have more ideas? I mean, I always have more ideas. I could, uh, I can talk ideas constantly. But man, you have given me some things to think about for sure. <laughs> I'm the, thinking, the psychopathy and schizophrenia thing is something I had not considered before. So, thank you. There are. I'll send you some links later. There are some connections, but the like it gets into weird territory. Like I don't know if you've heard that in genetic research, one of the problems that people are bringing up lately is this whole replication crisis, where like people. Like, I've been totally, like, mauled on the internet for believing that candidate gene research is okay. <laughs> and so, like, I apparently now candidate gene research is very taboo, maybe, or something in certain... Maybe it's only certain circles, I don't know. But, uh, but there is candidate gene research that hit, there's overlaps of, like, psychopathy and schizophrenia. I'll totally send that to you. But beware that people have attacked me for this so and there are reasons mm -hmm. to think it might be bad like it, basically there's like meta-analyses where there's like no correlation to like serotonin genes or something like that and so now people are like oh my gosh everything we thought about 
serotonin and depression and all these different things. It was all just fake. And there's no correlation to anything. And the research is just bad or whatever. I think it's complicated, though. Like, I feel like there's factors that are not just... I, I feel like that's kind of, like, where the default mode network is with yeah. psychedelics. It's like, oh, this is all... It doesn't mean anything because Salvia is showing similar patterns of deactivation, and so is a number of other substances. I think that there is some kind of fundamental overlap with all of it, but we're not really testing it in the right sort of way. I don't think the whole focus needs to be thrown out. I just think it needs to be re-examined from a different angle, and it's probably like that with the candidate gene stuff, I would imagine, too. Yeah, sounds so. similar. Well, that was very interesting, Gage. <laughs> yes. We'll have to do that again at some point. So, I mean, there, there's always going to be new topics to discuss. Heck yes, I'm down. This, I was, like, somewhat scared to, like, go into kind of just brainstorming together. That's what I like to do. But it's also, like, like there's, like, we find dead ends sometimes, you know? Which <laughs> I think we did really good at kind of getting to the next topic or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, yeah, it was pretty interesting. And, like, conversations like this actually give me tons of new ideas. I feel like talking alone it kind of sucks because i don't like it's just it's oh, just rumination. <laughs> yes it's just like straight rumination <laughs> even writing i feel like it's like i feel like trapped within ideas or something i don't know oh yeah you get to expose your ideas and you know reduce self-focus and broaden perspective <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> so yeah i agree hey thank you for coming right. on Coolio. See you and, uh, around. Yeah, see you. Hello. So I hope you enjoyed that podcast. It was actually a lot um, more, I would say, maybe creative than I thought it would be. I really like when discussions are like this, and I would kind of like that to be what this podcast is about. Um, kind of throwing ideas off of each other and other thinkers getting involved in kind of uh, meshing together worldviews and stuff like that. Um, so I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. And um, uh, I guess uh, shout out again to the 12 Patreon patrons. Uh, thank you so much for your support. You actually have made differences in my life so that is awesome and um also if you are interested in joining that the pod uh, the uh the that will be in the description of this podcast and um uh basically you'll gain access to certain content um i'll probably be uh, more responsive uh through there as well I talk to kind of a lot of people every day, most of the time. Sometimes I'm lonely anyways, though. But but anyways, I tend to kind of uh, talk to them. Uh, not all of them. Some of them don't uh, talk. But, 
There's also, of course, the content, the special access content where I've uploaded, uploaded kind of different descriptions of experiences and EEG data and stories and um, photography that I've taken to accompany those uh, stories and stuff like that. And there's also, uh, I've started to upload kind of mini podcasts about ideas that I am not sure if I would put them on this podcast yet. Some of them are just kind of short, uh, like the, the one that is there already is, I think, 15 minutes. And I talk about the nature of, what is it, uh, free will and genetics. And so I um, basically kind of just talk about uh, whether or not genes limit our free will or what that even might mean. So if that sounds interesting, go check that out. And I'll be adding different kinds of content over time as I come up with new ideas. And um, yeah, so join us next time. Subscribe on now. The podcast is on Spotify, uh, recently added. Uh, There's also iTunes, Google Play, and I forgot what the other service was. But if there's a service that you want it on, you can also contact me and I might be able to get it on there. And uh, yeah, so I hope you guys are doing well and have a good day. Goodbye.
Thank you.